Welcome to Momentum Church. Amen. Amen. Well, last week was the second to the last sermon in this series. And I want to commend Pastor Brian for doing a great job last week. Amen. And, um, and I promise you, I won't eat any rocks. That was the craziest illustration ever. So if you missed last week's sermon, you need to go check it out. But this is the final week in our series that we've been calling Be the Church. And I really believe that when it comes to expectations, it's important to understand what those are. Don't you like living like at your job and you know your expectations of you at your job, right? It's, it's a whole lot better. It was the same way, I think, spiritually. And so the last nine weeks, today's the ninth week, we've been looking at the expectations that we should put on ourselves from Scripture in regards to being the church. And so every week's been a different B. And this week, we're going to be looking at end times. How many like the study of eschatology? Some of you, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, Louie. I love, I love you, buddy. I love yeah, no, the end times are really important for us to understand. It's not something, for whatever reason, that's ever held my attention that much. I think it's, I'm always like, I want to know how to live right now. You know? And so here's the thing, though. We're going to be looking at the end times today a little bit, all right, as we're looking at becoming ready for what God is going to do. Um, and so we want to do that, but I'm going to ask, you know, be, really lean into how to be ready and how you should live right now in light of Christ's soon coming. How many believe Jesus is coming soon? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so this last week, just to kind of lead into this a little bit, we weren't here. Amy and I, we celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary. Yeah. I know. Can you believe I have put up with her? Oh, 29 years. It's been glorious. And so we usually, every summer, we'll go backpacking for a period of time, 8, 10 days. And this year, we have a grandkid, a little boy. And my wife said, Ross, there's no way I could be away from that grandson for 10 days. There's just no way. And how many have grandkids? Yeah. And so he's fresh. Like, he still smells decent, you know? And so she's like, I could give five days. Let's do five days. And I'm like, baby, we're so far up the AT now. It's just a waste. Like, it'd be a day of driving to get there and then three days of hiking. A drape. I'm not going to go that far for three days. Let's figure out something else to do. And so she thought it would be fun to celebrate on the Etowah River a kayaking camping trip, of which it was a kayaking camping trip. It was. It was fun, but it was definitely above our skill level. We were not used to um, what we were going to experience. And so the first nine miles that we were on, it was like everywhere we turned, there was down logs, down trees crossing the whole river. And, and um, Mitch Wells, he, our saxophonist, he dropped us off at the river, and we jumped in, and we had no longer got out of sight. He's got a great video of us. We look like pros. Like, we're just like, look like pros. And we get out of sight, and we hit our first little rapid with a rock, and about pitched over right then, you know. This was just, good Lord, this is what this is going to be like. I wasn't expecting this. Amy brought charcuterie. Because <laughs> we're going to go down this river, and when it's lunchtime, no need to pull over. We're just going to have our little self some charcuterie. No, this is not going to happen, you know. 
And so as we're going down the river, next thing you know, there's a log, and I knew not to hit it like that, so I go in sideways to it like this, and we figured out I could get out like a horse on the other log and lift it over, and, and, and that was good. That was good. We got that one figured out. And then another one, another one. Then finally, there was one that was this far above the water, and I didn't realize this little sideways trick I had come up with is probably not the best trick for one that's above the water, because we went under it, and it started pinching us. And it scared me, so I pushed off. And that caused the left side of the boat to go down, which caused the bottom to touch the log, which caused the water to push us and flip us over. Which is fine, because everything on the boat's lashed down. We were prepared. We were, everybody say ready. Ready. And so we're prepared. So everything's lashed down except for our oars. (laughs) Who, Who does this kind of stuff? And like, you, like, Kayak leashes for the oars, that's a thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know. So literally, <clears throat> within seconds, it's like, the oar's gone. Amy lost her oar. And, um, and, and so for the next like six miles, I'm having to navigate all this stuff by myself, trying to be ready, trying to make sense of it all. And uh, Mitch, thank God, he, I called him. He ran to my house, got me an extra oar. And that man drove all the way up to North Georgia and brought me an oar. Isn't that awesome? And he brought me some leashes too. So <laughs> God bless Mitch Wells. And so here's the thing. What we realized was going to be this amazing little serene experience. It was chaos on the creek. You know, it was a struggle on the stream. That's what it was, you know. And the reason why is because the river was moving and it was full of down trees and debris. That's why the navigating was difficult. You had to, everybody say it, say, be ready. You, you, you had to know what you were going to do before you got there. I just didn't know what I was going to ever do. And so I didn't know what to expect. And so how does our experience on the Etowah relate to today's message? Let me say it this way. It seems like to me the river of time is moving and it's speeding up. And we're heading towards rough waters of rocks and debris, full of rocks and debris. And like Amy and I's little um, tributary tribulation, okay, (laughs) we're not experiencing something little. We are about ready to come into some really serious stuff. And we've got to be ready for it. We have to be able to read the signs of the river so that we can navigate successfully the waters that we've never experienced before. And none of us have ever experienced the end times, and we're going into those. And so we got to be able to read the signs. Amy and I realized we weren't real good at reading the signs. There was a ledge that went clear across the river, and I was so proud of my wife because we could have portaged. I feel like I'm so sophisticated when I say that word. We could have got out and went across this island, or we could have faced the radioactive rabbits. That's what they were called, literally. That was their name. And Amy, I love my girl. She's like, let's do the rapids. Oh, girl, that's why I married you, girl. And there's this like 18-inch, 20-inch drop-off. And had we went four feet to the right or four feet to the left, had we navigated the signs correctly, we would have been fine. But as we went nose deep, off this thing as t- about as tall as that, there was another rock. And I didn't see it, Caleb. And all your bags you gave me to stay dry, they sucked. <laughs> Period. Just saying. Mitch's worked. Mitch's bags were. <laughs> so 
we hit the rock and we roll over. And as we roll over, I, I, I had forgot that morning to put the strap over top the cooler. So now I've got a cooler on my boat upside down, but I don't have my bananas and my tomatoes and my, I like fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. I don't have all that. And I don't have Amy's bag of chocolate covered M&Ms and I want to stay married. So I take off and this water that's this deep quickly goes to this deep and I'm swimming, holding a shirt and putting produce and M&Ms. I say all that to say, We did not navigate the signs of the river very well. And so years ago, Jesus, before he leaves, his disciples, they're wanting to know what the signs of the river are. They want to know what the signs of the end times. Like like the kingdom of God is at hand. I get that. But like what's going to happen next? And they want to know. And so in Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus begins on the Mount of Olives to describe to them what it's going to be like in the end times. And I want us to stand to our feet to honor God's word. And I'm just going to read a short passage, and then we're going to go into Matthew 24 a lot as we look at signs of the end times. And then we're going to look at 1 Peter as we look at how we ought to live in light of knowing the end times are present. All right? So it says, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? Because he was talking about the things at the end of the age. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Father, in the name of Jesus, make us ready. Prepare our hearts for what we need to do to live a life aware of the moving tides, the moving stream that our society is, and allow us to navigate well until your return. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. You can have your seats. So we're going to look at four signs of the ends of the time. Four signs of the end of time. And the first sign we can see, and these are all out of Matthew 24, the first sign we can see is the sign of deception. Say deception. Deception. Yeah, listen, Jesus answered and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You have to understand, we live in a day and an age where deception is rampant when it comes to spiritual matters. There has literally been a rise of the religiously unaffiliated that has taken place since the 1970s that has, is mind-blowing what is happening, all right? So when it was in 1970, which isn't that long ago, amen? All you young people are like, that's old, shut up. That's not that long ago. So in the 1970s, in 1970s, just 5% of the population would say that they were religiously unaffiliated, just 5%. There's been a rise of the religiously unaffiliated from just 5% of the population in the 1970s to about 30% of adults in 2022. That's a huge rise. In 1991, 87% of young adults indicated that their faith was a Christian faith. In America, 87%. Just 8% of this age group at that time would report they had no religious affiliation. Now, I want you to catch something. 91 to 98, just seven years, all right? Only seven years later, in 1998, the share of those young people who said they were Christians dropped a full 14 percentage points, while the percentage of those who answered no religious affiliation jumped to 20% which is an increase of 12 percentage points, a ratio that hadn't changed at all between 1972 and 1991 had moved into double-digit percentages in a seven-year time period. 
Isn't that crazy? A few weeks ago, I gave you some statistics when it came to what the church, what Christianity, what people in America holding and professing faith, what those percentages are like now post-COVID and how many have left, not just church, but they have left the faith in the last three or four years, the increase of that. And so we live in a world where deception is rampant and people are giving up on their faith. The, The second thing that we're seeing when it comes to deception not just giving up on faith in general, it's a shift from linking a Christian faith to a scriptural and orthodox faith, okay? So, so in other words, I'm a Christian, but that Bible, it, I can take it or leave it. I'm a Christian, but the things that I've heard espoused as truths from Scripture, eh, that's for your opinion, that's for somebody else's opinion. My opinion's different, and since my opinion's different, my opinion is, is valid, right? And so there's a shift from Christianity, true Orthodox-type Christianity, and I'll explain orthodoxy in a second, to a spirituality that at times will promote Jesus. Like, I love Jesus. I just don't like his word. That's like me saying, I love Amy, just keep your mouth shut. How good would that have gone on the lake or on the river? Might have gone good. I should have tried that. No, you can't, you can't say I love you, but I don't want to hear you. And so that's, that's what's happening. It's like, I, I want Jesus in the image I want Jesus in, but I'm not looking at his word to define anything. And so there's a shift. The word orthodoxy comes from the Greek word. It's two words, orthos, which means right, true, or straight. All right? If you remember scripture, there's things that say broad is the way and straight or narrow is the, the broad is the way, the, the, the way and straight and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. You, you have scriptures like Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, so, so the, the scripture is very much a... <laughs> The scripture is very opinionated. God's kind of opinionated. How dare him create everything and be so opinionated, right? So yes, the scripture is a little opinion. It is. It's truth. It's straight. It's the right way. So orthodoxy, when you come to the word doxa, that means opinion, all right? The doxa, the opinion. And so orthodoxy describes the one true opinion. The problem with that is, in our world, every opinion is valid, true or false, as long as it's valid to you. You may be wrong, but it's your reality, and as long as it's your reality, you're fine with that. And we're not, we can't live that way. When we look at scripture, it is the authorized, accepted theology, doctrine, and model of practice that we're supposed to live by. And Jesus gives us a warning that in the end times, there'll be deception. And he says, many is going to come in my name. They're going to say, I'm the Christ. But they're going to lead many astray. And we're seeing that more and more and more and more. Amen? Excuse me. Debating, do I want to go into that? I'll go into that later today. You want me to go into that. So the first is a sign of deception. The second is the sign of disputes among the nations. Disputes among the nations. Matthew 24, 6 through 7. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against 
kingdom. And you'll be able to say, but Ross, there's always been wars. There's always been conflict. You are absolutely right. But more people lost their lives in the 20th century than all combined wars in all of the history of mankind. The 20th century, a age of enlightenment, an age of modern technology, an age of understanding, an age of wisdom, an age of... And more people lost their lives. The, the, the idiom for nation will rise against nation, some will say that idiom actually means that all the nations will rise against all the nations. Like, well, we experienced that already. World War I, World War II, and if we're not careful, we're on the, the cusp of World War III, not trying to be a fear monger, but you know it's true. All right? Oh, it's okay. You can trust the politicians to keep us out of it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. One of the neat things that happened from World War II is 1948, Israel became a nation. That is one of the things that has to happen before Jesus' return, and it's already happened. The nation is a nation again, and and we'll see Jesus return once that nation's a nation again. And it's already, we're not waiting on that anymore. I love it. There's not a whole lot of stuff we are waiting on. And so the disputes among the nations, we see that increasing. Number three, the sign of devastation. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Famines and earthquakes. The world is currently right now in the midst of a hunger pandemic, all right? The world is hungrier than they've ever been in 2023. You would think that with our understanding and our wisdom, with our agricultural prowess, you would think with all those things, with our money, that it wouldn't be the case, but the world hunger is on the rise, affecting nearly 10% of people globally. Well, 10%, what? That's 800 million people, guys, that are going to go to bed hungry tonight. But pastor, that scripture said famine. That doesn't say hunger. Okay, you're right. It's just 11 people will die of hunger and malnutrition every minute. The sitter for 60 seconds, 11 people dead. Does it sound like a famine? Yeah, it sounds like a famine, right? And that has increased. You would think it would have gotten better, but it's getting worse. And again, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I just want us to see scriptures are being fulfilled already. There's not hardly anything left to do before Jesus splits the sky wide open and comes for us. So we ought to live ready. We ought to be. Everybody say, be ready. ready. Yeah, yeah. What about earthquakes? It says here, there'll be earthquakes. Over the past 10 years, there's been a worldwide surge in great earthquakes. And you'll, well, Pastor Ross, I understand, but it's because our seismological understanding, we can detect things so much better, so that's why we know there's so many, no, 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 I'm not talking about some little, I think that's an earthquake, all right? No, no. When I say great earthquakes, I won't do that again. When I say great earthquakes, eight point or higher on the Richter scale. I'm talking a a major earthquake. And when it comes down to those, the global rate of those great earthquakes has nearly tripled in recent years. Between 2004 and 2014, earthquakes with magnitude of eight point or more increased 265% over the average rate of the 20th century, of the last century. I don't know just sounds like maybe God's shaking some things up. 
just sounds like something's happening here. Just sounds like maybe some of the things that Jesus said to be watching for, we probably ought to be watching for and live ready. Amen? Number four, the sign of deliverance into tribulation. Now, now this isn't the tribulation, that seven-year period at the end of time. This isn't that. This is the idea of trials and tribulation. But the sign that believers will start to be delivered into trials for their faith. They'll start to be delivered into tribulation for the things that they stand fast on. In Matthew 24, 8 through 9, all these are but the beginning of the birth pain. So the earthquakes, the famines, the wars, all these things we've been looking at, they're the beginning of birth pangs, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, I'm hoping to say that before the rapture, there'll be some of this, it won't be like what we're thinking, you know, like it'll be during the end of the tribulation. And I'm not going to teach all the timeline today. I just don't have time to teach the timeline of, of eschatological, um, 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 the timeline. I just don't have time to teach that today. But I do believe there will come a time where there will be people killed for their faith. You know? In America? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a, a fear monger. I'm just saying we need to be ready. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations. Why? For my name's sake. And here's the thing. In small, we're already starting to see it. Because if you think about it, tolerance is exalted for everyone and every opinion except for the one who holds to a biblical Christian view. We got to be tolerant of everything. But nobody wants to be tolerant when you hold the word up and say, but this is what the word said. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is the opinion I'm supposed to have. No, no, no. That opinion doesn't count. My opinion counts, but that opinion doesn't count. You see, scriptural morality, it's under attack. And if you hold to it, you are made to look like you are hate-filled. You're made to look like you're a bigot that lacks compassion and has no sense of the injustices other people face. No, you can have compassion. We need to seek justice. We're called in Malachi to seek justice for people. We, we need to be compassionate. But the word of God is a strong thing that we've got to hold on to and not back down from. Amen? Amen. And I don't know how that's playing out in your life. And in the first service, I wasn't planning on saying I said it, so I'll just mess us all up in here too. You know, it's like when it comes down to a lot of things in the workplace now. Things are being mandated that would go against your conscience or your level of, 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 of being in agreement with. But no tolerance is going to come your way. And I'm not here to tell you what to do, okay? I'm not saying quit your job. I'm just saying that many in this room that have corporate jobs, you've got to put your pronouns underneath your name heading so people know if you're a he, him, a she, her, uh, 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 and so on, you know? I'm a he, him. I mean, I mean, definitely, you know. And the thing about it is I have friends in the work environment who are saying, I feel conflicted. I don't care if somebody else has to put what they want, but don't mandate me to have to put that. I, and, and others in the room are going, well, why is it a big deal? I do not want to personally violate several of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says not to bear false witness. I, I, I don't want to acknowledge this he, she, her, him, because I'm bearing, I know you're a male. I'm not going to acknowledge that. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving, okay? Not going to be ugly, right? Because I believe in some tolerance too, amen? 
no, when it comes down to it, I, I'm not going to fall into that because I'm not going to bear false witness. I know that's a man. I know that's a woman. I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to have a God that's higher than the God who created male and female. Y'all are quiet up in here. <laughs> and think about that. We're in church and we're afraid. We're nervous, you know. I get it. It's even worse out in the waters of the world, you know. And again, I, this hits close to home, people. I got a right to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right? And I know how to show love. Yeah. Keep a standard. Jesus taught me through pain and suffering and struggle and trial. Jesus taught me how to be loving to my family and still hold a standard. Amen? And you know what? I'll be honest. (laughs) When you hold that standard, years later, they'll thank you for it. Because you were the only thing that stayed true in their lives. When the lie was embraced all around you are the only one to stay true in their lives. Mom and daddies that have those in your family that are struggling with these issues, love deeply, but hold that standard because when that kid comes back, they're not gonna return unless you hold the standard in a loving way, okay? Because all you are is a liar then. That's how weak your principles were that you would drop your principles just because your child now is making bad choices and you're gonna go, I cannot come against my child, so I'm gonna love my child so much. I'm gonna go ahead and love him so much. Yay, June. I'm going to love my child so much that I'm going to get into the pride with them. Yay. What's that kid going to think? You stopped holding the standard. What's that kid going to think when they're looking for truth again? But you dropped truth by the wayside because you didn't navigate those waters well. That wasn't in the first service. So I, I just, I'll say it again. Love deep, hold a standard. The world's not going to tolerate you for it. And you mean I've been rebuked on both sides. We've been rebuked by people who are, are, are preaching, like, I can't understand how you can show that kind of love. And then we've been rebuked by people, I can't you understand why you just can't be okay with everything. You know? Well, I'm sorry. I think scripture shows us that we love people deeply and we hold a standard. We can do both. Amen? Amen? Amen. So scripture morality is under attack. If you hold to it, you're going to be the one that looks evil. All right? And then I have something really encouraging to tell. Lean in with your ears. Ready? It's going to get worse. (laughs) Aren't you happy? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Matthew 24. 10 through 14, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will increase. Lawlessness, in other words, just doing what you want to do, will increase. The love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, here's here's the hope, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Listen, the only hope for this world is the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. It says here that the gospel is going to be preached. Who preaches the gospel? Everybody say the church. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the king is going to come. 
That is going to happen. The end will happen. Jesus will come back. That's the hope. And the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, and, and I'm not saying you mean that, that I'm going to lose my salvation as I'm struggling through all. No, no, no. No. You are saved. You are being saved. And you're going to be saved. Does that make sense? Like, if you're here today and you're not having a relationship with Jesus, you're lost, you know, like, like undone. Like, your sins haven't been covered by his blood. And, and all you have to do is come into a relationship with him. Sins get covered by his blood. You go from guilty to innocent. You're still a mess. It's like putting a fish in a boat. It doesn't skin. It doesn't f- f- um, um, descale itself. It doesn't fillet. It, it takes time, right? But you go from guilty to innocent. So you're saved, right? That fish is in the boat. And then next thing you know, you're being saved. That fish is getting clean, you know? And then someday, this, this, every illustration breaks down. Because I was going to say, someday you get thrown into the fire and cooked and your delicious fish. And I was like, that doesn't work. We're going to heaven, not hell. All right. So we'll just stop there. But you get it, all right? And then someday you're being saved. And you're going to be fully, like the full redemption. You're going to be with the Lord in heaven. Amen? I, I thank you guys for putting up with me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so with that, um, all this evil that's happening, it's talking about this group that's going to proclaim the gospel. God always protects a remnant. He always has a remnant. And I'll be honest, I believe as the end times get closer, the church will get smaller in some ways. The true church will get smaller in some ways. There'll be more of a remnant in some ways. I'm not saying that there won't be people professing faith in Jesus. I just think when it comes down to it, it's going to be more difficult to profess faith in Jesus. And so that remnant, that remnant's going to be established. And 1 Peter speaks to a remnant of people. He's speaking to the exiles, the Jewish Christian believers that are a part of the diaspora. They have spread out all over the known world at that time. And he's speaking to them. And I'll, I'll get to the first verse in a second. I want to jump to the third verse because this is what he's saying to them, but it's a challenge to us as well. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So this isn't to discourage us all this. We've been born again to hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance, like there's something for us that's imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for us who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time that idea of that fullness of salvation that's going to come all right and then verse six in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith there will be a testing that's taking place all right that river tested Amy and I There was times we failed on that river. It was testing us. Reading the signs, responding correctly to the signs was a testing of us. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, like when he returns. Amen? And so I do want to go back up because he's speaking this truth that that you're living in such a way there's going to be trials. Allow your faith that's tested to stay genuine. Don't back down. Stay strong because what you're going through, there's an end that's coming that's better than anything you're experiencing now. Hold fast. Your inheritance awaits. All right? Doesn't mean that we're not going to walk in some of that goodness now, but this is what this is saying, okay? But who is he saying it to? Verse 1 and 2, he lays it out. First Peter 
It says, verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, and I'm looking at a room full of elect exiles. You're in this world, but you're not of it. Amen? This is a country that you are a citizen of, but it isn't your final home. Amen? We are sojourners. We are exiles in a foreign land. Amen? Much like Peter is speaking to in this moment. These exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. In other words, God is doing a work that's setting you apart as holy for his purpose during this season. He's letting them know. For obedience to Jesus, for the sprinkling with blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he's defining who he's speaking to. God is speaking to you. And you need to realize you are exiles. Stop trying to fit in. Amen? Stop trying to be, you know, just that, that, the guy that's just like everybody else. They're like, no, we're exiles. We're remnant people. Spirit filled. Amen? The Holy Spirit baptized, changed, different times. I'm not saying in a place of arrogance, but a place that I'm not just a creature. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. And with those new things that come, the gifts of the Holy Spirit come, the power of God comes, the moving, the presence, and the understanding of the things of God comes. Man, that's awesome. We get to live in a world as exiles and live differently. But so many of us every day, we worry in the midst of this river that's moving, we just want to look like all the other fish. Amen. Be a beaver. <laughs> Don't even know what that means. We saw one on the river. We did. Be a goat. We saw a goat. We were out in a corner. There's a goat. It's like, what in the world, you know? Be different, right? <laughs> so if we're going to be different, we've got to live ready. If we're going to be the exiles that God wants us to be, we've got to live ready. And here's the thing. We don't ready ourselves from a place of fear. Okay, I've said all these things that's happening. Don't, don't get fearful. No, we ready ourselves from a place of faith, all right? In 1 Peter 1, 5, he goes on, exiles who by God's power are being guarded through faith, all right? Not through fear. You're guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's that faith in? That faith is in Jesus. That faith is in his word. That faith is in what he said about his own return. If we have faith to believe that he's coming back, are we living like we believe that? Like, do I have faith to believe in his return? And we should. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will return. Amen? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you until that happens. But he tells us he's gone to his father's house to prepare a place for, for us. Do you know that's a very Jewish thing? Do you guys realize this? In ancient Jewish culture, a groom would come and announce to his love, I want to marry you. And she would accept the betrothal. And then he would leave and go back to his dad's house. And he would begin to build onto his dad's house because when they get married, they're going to live there for a period of time, okay? And so then, unannounced, at some point, he's going to come. And they're going to be making themselves ready for this wedding that they don't know when it's going to happen, all right? And then he'll come. And there'll be somebody shouting, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom comes. And she and her wedding party are ready to be received by the bridegroom and taken to the wedding and then on to the father's house. Sound good, huh? That's, that's, that's the ancient Jewish culture. That's the picture that we're seeing. And we need to be ready like a bride for her groom. And so in Matthew 25, and we're about done, 
there's a story of 10 virgins. And the 10 virgins, five they say are wise and five are foolish. The five wise have shown up at this, this time to wait with the bride for the groom to come. She, they have shown up with oil in their lamp and a container of oil extra. They are ready to wait this out for the groom's return. The other five are called foolish and they didn't bring the extra things needed. Now it's time, and as it comes time, the bridegroom has come, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, and they're wanting these five wise virgins, give us your oil, give us some oil, and they're refusing to give the oil. The foolish said, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are gone out, in verse 9, but the wise answered, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And that sounds cruel, Okay. But the thing you have to understand is, this is the end, okay? That's how serious it is. Like, I can't give this up. This two-year price was paid for me to have. This is my groom is here for me. This is my, my, the groom that's come for the bride. I, I'm not giving this up and missing this chance. It's not trying to be selfish. The preaching needs to happen before that time. The witness needs to happen before that time. Does that make sense? So to be ready, we need to be preaching and proclaiming this message of the gospel until he comes, right? But in this moment, he's come. And they're left without the oil they need. And so the recommendation is for them to go and buy. In verse 10, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And when I read that, the Lord just popped in my mind. Purchasing something is a transaction. In other words, while they were so busy with worldly transactions, the bridegroom came. And I think that's where a lot of times, if we're not careful, our hearts can be so involved with worldly transactions. That's the oil we're looking for. We're going to buy. We're going to get from the dealers. We're going to get the worldly transactions. And we miss what God is doing in the moment. Amen? And so I want to challenge us to be careful of that. And those who were ready, they went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open the door. And, 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 and he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That speaks to us to be ready for Christ's return. And so my question to you as we close today, I want you to own this question. How would you live today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? So say it again, how would you live today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight. What would it look like to keep that lamp full and that wick trimmed, to be ready with that thing burning, that, that heart of life, of your life burning? Uh, how would it look today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? Would you, would you, I know for me, I'd probably give differently. You know, I'd probably worship differently. I'd probably treat my family differently. Amen? Well, how would it look for you today to live if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? Well, Peter lays it out for us how we should be living. All right? I won't go through this too long. Verse 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is, this is his answer. So all these trials, all this stuff, we're waiting for his coming. Here's how you should live. Though you haven't seen him, love him. Though you do not now see him, believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay? And so I'll just hit this real quick. How are we supposed to live ready? You live ready by loving him fully. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And so I want to challenge you today as we go to communion here in a few moments, ask yourself, where are my affections? Where's my heart? Do I love other things more than I love the Lord? 
Well, Ross, of course not. No, 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 I know, but practically, what, how does that play out in our lives? Are we ready in this season that the river's moving and things are getting crazy? Where is our love set? Number two, believe in him. And I can't separate Jesus from his word, all right? So believe in him, believe in truth, believe in his word. Believe in him. You haven't seen him. You haven't known him in a sense personally, like in, in, in flesh and blood, but, but you can believe in him and his truth, his word. I've taught you before that the belief means, the original word, it means allegiance, not mental assent. What are you allying yourself with? Where's your allegiance in this day and age? We can't say we are ready if we're not loving him fully. We can't say we are ready if we have divided allegiances. Amen? And then the final thing, verse 3, rejoice with joy. Where's your worship? Where's your praise? What's captivating your attention that brings celebration out of your life? It says here, rejoice with joy. And it tells us why we can rejoice with joy. It says that we can rejoice with joy because we're going to obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We can rejoice. And so again, how would you live today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? I'm going to read one scripture here, and then we're going to go to communion. I want you to think those three things. The love of him. What's that look like in your life? The love of him. The belief of him, his truth, those precepts, the word. How... How do you hold that in your life? Do you have a high elevation of who Jesus is and his word is in your life? Are you allied to it? Are you in allegiance, in allegiance with that? And that final thing, what demands your worship? What demands your praise? What do you rejoice in in your life? Peter, he closes up this section, therefore preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, be sober-minded. Be careful of your actions. Why? Because you have a revelation. Jesus is coming. You have a revelation that, that he is on his way. As obedient children, don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as you who called you, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I ask you again, how would you live today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? Amen? Here in a moment, we're going to come and worship. And as we're worshiping, come to the altars and grab the bread and the wine or the juice. And then make your way back to your seats. And then I'll come back up and we'll finish communion together here in a few moments. Jesus, he said to us when he was with his disciples and he says for us as well that that he gave thanks he broke the bread he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me now watch verse 26 how does this tie into being ready for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death we're good at that we, we take the cup and we think about what Jesus did for us. We should do that. But it says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's not just a looking back, it's a looking forward. And we want to be ready for his coming. And so as we take communion, just speak to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Lord, I set my love upon you. I want to believe fully your word. Lord, I want to worship and rejoice in you fully. So many things grab my attention. I want to be ready for your coming. 
And so as we take communion today, prepare your hearts for the coming of Jesus. Now in his spirit, like by his spirit, but soon, in the scope of eternity, soon, he's going to split the eastern sky. He's going to put his foot there on the Mount of Olives. Oh my word, it's going to happen. And we will forever be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.